This is Town Square Sunday On Demand. And now, 1420 WBSM's Jim Phillips. Good morning and welcome to this week's program, Town Square Sunday. I'm Jim Phillips. This is the big weekend, the ribbon cutting at the Abolition Road Park at Spring and 7th Street in New Bedford. This park has been a dream of Lee Blake of the New Bedford Historical Society for a number of years. The park honors a group of abolitionists in New Bedford that assisted escaped slaves find freedom back in the 1800s. And, uh, of course, that was through the Underground Railroad. The park also celebrates famed abolitionist Frederick Douglass and his years in New Bedford. Lee Blake, congratulations, and welcome to our program once again. Well, thank you, Jim, so much for reaching out to us and talking a little bit about a forgotten area of New Bedford's great history. We are so excited that we are able to open up a new park for the city to enjoy and for young people to learn about another aspect of New Bedford's history. Lee, I call this a small park with a mighty message. And I think... (laughs) Well, it's across the street from a small house with a big story. <laughs> sure. Um, the the uh, uh, Polly Johnson house where uh, 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 Douglas stayed during uh, his early time in New Bedford. Um, but right, clearly, right. go ahead, Lee, I'm sorry. So Frederick Douglas comes to New Bedford in 1838, and he is only 20 years old, and it you know, that becomes part of the story that we like to tell. And the park will tell that story with a new statue of Frederick Douglass as a 20-year-old dock worker who has his whole life to look forward to. And in a community like New Bedford, where while there's still some discrimination, there are also opportunities because Massachusetts um ended slavery in 1783. So, as we look at this new park, and of course the dedication, we're speaking on Thursday, the ribbon cutting is uh, the next day, Friday. Uh, So, this park um, has been, you know, you've worked on this idea and the concept with a lot of people, and it's been a while. What impresses you most as we're nearing the ribbon cutting and uh, uh, it's really just about completed. Well, the park is just about completed, but we worked with the city of New Bedford as a partner, so we worked with the parks department, and we worked with state agencies, and we worked, of course, with our elected state officials to pull together the funds to do this park. And... One of the things that really impressed me was how we were able to manage all of this. But, you know, COVID was a big problem for us. As people said, well, with COVID, maybe you're not going to do the park. We really had to put things aside for a little over two years. But it allowed us to tell a fuller story and allowed us to raise more funds And, you know, there were some complications, but it really made us understand how important it is to be persistent in your vision. So will this be a tourist destination, do you feel? 
I mean, it's we got to get the word out, but will, will people from outside come to see this? Well, people from outside will come to see this, but also people in the city will come to see this. You know, New Bedford has a great history that reflects on whaling, but the abolitionist movement, um, some of the research that's being done on the African-American and the Cape Verdean population, those are things that people in the north end of New Bedford don't even know about. <laughs> that's uh, we, We've talked about that before. Not a lot of people uh, uh, really understand what not a lot of people may not understand uh, what happened in New Bedford in the 1800s. It was a remarkable place for commerce and business. Uh, whaling was going full blast, if you will. Uh, but uh, there was also a committed group of citizens who wanted to end slavery and do their part by helping escaped slaves uh, find a way to freedom. Right. Uh, and I'd also like to say that with the university, I've been working to teach teachers about this across the country, and we've done exhibits that are now traveling. We have a Sailing to Freedom exhibit that's in Maryland. It's on its way to Philadelphia. It's coming to Martha's Vineyard. Because sea towns understand this. Sea towns understand that the sea was an area of commerce. And we forget that because we have the interstate highways. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have those back in 1800, but we did have no, the sea, and we did have uh, wagons and horses right. and mules that helped pe- carry people to freedom, that's for sure. Um, uh, Lee, um, the link between Douglas and New Bedford, something you've always uh, highlighted, um, uh, the statue that you mentioned early in the interview um, and the message that it sends, could you describe the statue and what you uh, what you feel about it? All right, so we actually did uh, meetings with community members to talk to them about what they wanted to see in a statue and in the park. So the decision was that we wanted to see a, pa- uh, a statue of Douglas when he first came here, and he was 20. He was uh, looking forward with his new wife, Anna, he was uh, taken care of by the anti-slavery societies here, and of course by Nathan and Polly Johnson, who took care of him and helped him find a place to live and a job. And uh, the First Unitarian Church allows him to use their library. So he, it was, this is never was a happening place. You know, people were doing speeching, and and uh, let me just say that Douglas was speechifying, and he really gained his voice here. And so the statue shows that he is in workman's clothing. He's sitting on a roll of dock rope, and in his hand is a copy of the Liberator newspaper. Or, or the North Scots. And after leaving New Bedford, uh, Douglas grew both personally and professionally, and through his own perseverance, he became an international figure with, uh, you know, as an orator and as an abolitionist. Uh, he was a world-renowned. Kind of an incredible story given from where he came from to what he became, isn't it? 
it's it's an incredible story, and it also makes you think about how many other people were in that position to be able to bloom with freedom. That's another thing to think about, that, yes, Douglas was an amazing person and was persistent and worked very hard and in many ways got a few breaks, but, you know, there were four million slaves at the time that Frederick Douglass becomes a free man. And I think about that a lot. I think about people who were enslaved their whole lives. So, yes, he was an incredible person, and we are, as the historical side, we're very proud to be able to carry on his legacy and work with people across the state and the country who are doing the same thing. You're listening to Town Square Sunday. I'm Jim Phillips. My guest is Lee Blake of the New Bedford Historical Society and the person behind the New Bedford Abolition Row Park, which officially opened this weekend. Lee, who were some of the other abolitionists that lived on 7th Street or in that general neighborhood? Well, and, we and also were part have of the Underground Railroad. We also have Alyssa Thornton, whose house was right across the street, and his family members um, had pharmacies in the area. And Alyssa actually taught what we know of as some individuals who had been formerly enslaved. He taught them the pharmacy industry. So we have him. We have Phoebe Mendel, who lived on the street, who was a cook. And there are a number of women who lived on the street who had small schools at the time because public education, you know, was not in... um, Instead, at the time, things were small little uh, economic schools or they taught home economics to young women. So there are people who did those things, and most of those schools were integrated at the time. All right, so, but they formed a mighty community for sure. They, That's right. They, well, they, they, the women also had to take care of the community while the men were at sea. Okay. Um so, so these were basically whaling families that saw injustice and, and wanted to well, right the wrong? some of them were whaling families, but you also have to think that whaling had all of these side uh, economies or side jobs like, you know, candle-making, rope-making. So, yes, they were, in that sense, they were supporting the whaling industry. Is this park, uh, Lee, part of New Bedford's historic district at this time and the well, national park? The it's... park is going to be its own historic district. So right. Abolition Row, the park, also kicked off a new historic district, which will be the Abolition Row District. And that was just signed into legislation maybe a week ago, but it has gone to all the steps on the state level. So it'll be a new district and a new element of New Bedford story that we can tell. So um, what about the National Park? Is it uh... The National Park works with us, but the National Park does not cover this particular neighborhood. Okay. Lee, I know you had a lot of help in doing this, and uh, there was uh, this was your dream, your idea, but clearly... Even something, uh, most projects like this, you need a lot of you need a lot of players on the team. Well, who, who were part of the team? We also had 
the uh, research of Catherine Grover, who was our historian. We worked with the Park Service, as in the New Bedford Park Service, so that's Mary Raposa and her staff. And DPI, our uh, public infrastructure staff, which helped build the park. And also, I'd like to talk about uh, the Cultural Outreach Group, which is a Boston group that works with underserved communities, and they helped us develop the park and have conversations about the park. And um, I have to say that many years ago, I met with Patrick Sullivan at Community Development and spun my idea with him. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, a while, but, you know, the time refines and crystallizes your vision. What you can do, who can help you. And we've worked a lot with the Friends Meeting House also and talking to them about their possibilities because the park is surrounded by three different houses and spaces that are all on the National Historic Registry. So you don't want those houses to just sit there. You want to be able to weave them together to tell a new story, which is what we're doing, a story that's been undertold and not appreciated much by people who focused on the history of white people. You are a teacher. Uh, you that's have, right, I am. You are. You've been a teacher for quite quite some time. You're still teaching us all. Um, what do you hope young people will get out of this park? Well, I think first of all, young people really want to know. Why is this country in such a mess? What's going on? Why, how did this happen? So history really helps young people and, and adults, of course, to understand all the cross-currents and the personalities that move the country forward. And with the abolition movement, one of the wonderful things about the um, African-American, Cape Verdean, Native American history is those people moved the democratic process forward. They held people's feet to the fire. They held people who were talking about the Constitution all the time to actually read the Constitution and to deal with it. And the Constitution talks about equality. So I think young people will get that from the park and the idea that uh, active people, activity is important and advocacy is important to move things forward if you want a better place to live. There are lots of parks in New Bedford, big and small. Abolition Row Park uh, is small, but it is huge in its historical importance. Congratulations, Lee. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we'll see you at the opening. Well, I I hope to stop by. I really hope to stop by. My thanks to Lee Blake of the New Bedford Historical Society and the key person behind Abolition Row Park at Spring and 7th Streets in New Bedford. Once again, Lee, thank you, congratulations, and uh, it's quite a project. Stay with us. Town Square Sunday will continue in just a moment.